0: I just sang, (laughs) that wasn't actually a joke, sorry Pastor Fetty's laughing, maybe I should be in a rush. Um, No, but look, I I think when God is saying something, we should take the time just to slow down and actually listen. And and I heard a story just recently, and it's not actually part of my preaching, so this is a preamble, so apologies, but, um, and it's not really my story to share in full, so I'll just share it briefly, but there was a young girl who came to church a couple of weeks ago, And God just orchestrated everything in that meeting to speak into that little girl's life. And you know, that is the God that we serve. That's the God who hung on a cross so that we could have intimate relationship with him. There's something so personal about the Christian faith. There's something so personal about the way that God thinks about us and the way that He sees us. And even this morning, as, as, as the, the, the theme is so clear about what God wants to speak to us, and, and uh, as I was preparing and, and getting ready this morning, actually I got, I got a, an email message, which I'll have to deal with on Monday, but it, it's dealing with this very issue that I'm speaking about this morning. And and it was deeply challenging to me, but oftentimes that's how God works, right? And and the messages this morning that, that Carol brought in the prophetic, that God today wants to talk to us about the glory that he's preparing for us. The message that this life has troubles and that there are people here that are going through stuff, God wants to touch that this morning and it's all throughout my notes. And Hayden mentioned it as well, that God is working together all things. I want to unpack to you this morning actually how God is working those things through. So take note, even if you're not in this room, if you're listening on the podcast this morning, I believe the message is for you, that God wants to speak directly into your circumstance. And that's not coming from an area of pride, that's because I know who He is and I have confidence in Him. An eternal weight of glory. Aim for eternity. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in human hearts. Other translation says, in the heart of man. Yet, no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. God has woven eternity into the hearts of men and women. Have you ever looked at something beautiful and just been completely awestruck by it? I love in the morning the first rays of light as they crest the horizon. They produce such beautiful colours. It's such an awe-inspiring view. Or if I dip my toes on a, on a bribery beach into the sand there and look across the promise passage at, at the glass house mountains and the beauty of what God's created. Or if I turn my gaze to the heavens and consider the enormity, the great vastness of space... That God has shaped with His hands. It does something within my heart. It stirs something within me. But you know, yet those, those mountains, although they seem timeless, will erode. You know, although the, the Palmerstone Passage seems like it's been there for such a long time, and the truth is, it's been there long before I was here and it'll be here long after I'm gone. Things do change over time, albeit slowly. I, find, I think that's why we find it so difficult sometimes to understand or comprehend this concept of eternity because the way that we make sense of the world that we live in is through finite beginnings and endings. You know, every morning I wake up and I usually have a cup of coffee and it starts full, but after a couple of gulps, what happens? It becomes empty. And so I start the day, I go to work, I work, I come home, I sleep, I end the day when I wake up, what happens? It's a new day, a clear ending and beginning. That's how we make sense of our world. The footy season, Although that's too early to mention for Bronco supporters. I know, spent some time mourning. But in any case, the footy season starts in February, and it finishes in September. Material products have expiry dates. The seasons have a time and place, and so on and so forth. We make sense of our world through beginnings and endings. The list goes on and on. And so, even though eternity has been in etched, has been etched upon our hearts, it is so easy for us to lose sight of it. If nothing else today, what I want to do is reiterate the words that Ben spoke last week about eternity that if we're going to be a people who are going to be powerful and effective, we need to live in the reality of eternity. We need to turn our perspective and our gaze to eternity. We need to aim for eternity because, frankly, that is where we will spend the rest of forever. That's our final destination. And so in preparation for the sermon, I did a lot of discovery, did a lot of journeying and looking into this whole concept or term of eschatology. You might wonder, what is eschatology? I don't know if many people have heard of eschatology before. It's the theology of death, judgment, heaven and hell. Some state it as the science of the last things. What happens to us after we die? And there's so many rich scriptures within the Bible, so many passages which actually give us a bit of a picture of what eternity looks like. But some of them are hard to understand. And i spent this week racking my brain over some of these things. But I've come to a bit of a conclusion. There are some elements of eternity which no matter how much study I do, I'll never know. And that's actually okay. It's okay for it to be a bit of a mystery, a bit of a surprise when I actually get to see my Savior face to face, what it's going to be like. Dr. Richard Middleton is a professor and an author in Christian worldview and exegesis. A lot of big words this morning. Exegesis is the study and understanding interpretation of Scripture. He makes some fascinating observations about eschatology. He goes to say, What is the point of this imagery? That we might conform our lives to the coming expectations of God's kingdom. That we might begin to live today towards that vision, not accepting the present order of the world as normative, because it is fallen, it is corrupt. We must in some sense resist the status quo and live towards a vision of wholeness and act differently from the corruption in this world. That's the point of eschatology. That's the difference it makes. My identity is not precisely who I am as a social, cultural being in this particular world. My identity, which we spoke about this morning, is hidden in Christ. Hidden in Christ and revealed fully on the last day. But I can now begin to live in that identity of Christ. Living with a perspective of eternity is so vital. Living in mind of eternity will reveal the character and nature of God and our identity in Christ. It's actually a really nice segue into what we're going to be talking about this morning. And if you've got your Bibles with you, could you please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we'll pick it up from verse 1. A little bit of reading this morning, but that's fine. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1 to 8. And By way of context here, this is a, a letter Paul the Apostle wrote to the Church of Corinth. He had already written his first letter, which had been really well received, and so he writes to them again. And at this time, while he's writing, he's out on the mission field in Macedonia. And so we pick it up here in verse one. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we are well sorry, rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways, we do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not of ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said... Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us light of the knowledge of God's glory. Notice the use of glory here quite a lot, displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, this glory in jars of clay, to show that an all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. perplexed, but not despaired. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body also. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then... Death is at work in us, but life is in work at you. It is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe that therefore and therefore speak, because we know that the one who has risen, the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to him. All this is for your benefit. So that the grace that is pre, uh, reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, because of all of this, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal what glory that far awaits them all. So fix our eyes, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I find this passage fascinating. You know, at the top of my Bible here, the heading is present weakness and resurrection life present weakness and resurrection life. Who can agree that the world that we live in is in a constant state of present weakness? Now that we live in this information age, we don't need to look very far at the heartache and the atrocity around us to realize that things aren't the way that they're meant to be. You know, the other day I was listening on the radio, I heard a story of a man waltzing into an elderly man's house and he grabbed him and he chucked him over his balcony head first with his wife watching to his death. What a, what a broken act, unprovoked. Last year, there were a couple of school kids they were school age, went and broke into a Norfolk's home and stabbed a young mother to death in front of her family. It's a broken world that we live in. From the war in Ukraine this morning, we heard about the, the, the trials that are happening in Israel, to the housing crisis in our backyard. This world is not as it's meant to be. It is in a present state of weakness. Yet we are called to live with an eternity perspective. Let's read again here verse 16 to 18. I really want to double down on this. And this is where I believe the Holy Spirit is going to speak to us this morning. Verse 16, therefore do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on not what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Therefore we do not lose heart. In a society that is so desperately anxious and depressed, we have a solution. We have an answer. We have a secret that is now more important or just as important as ever. But what exactly would cause us to lose heart? First and foremost, I think the imminent reality of, of, of our broken flesh, of the, of the degradation of our, of our physical body. Although I'm still relatively young, I, I still have these, these vivid memories of the time I used to play footy out at Caboolture Snakes. And down at the snake pit, what I used to do is, is throw my body recklessly into tackles or I'd pick the biggest guy in the opposition and see if I could try and run over him. But these days, my body just doesn't do what I want it to do. Some of the things that I used to be able to do, I just can't do anymore. Now the thought of running at a big fella just fills my mind with, what were you thinking, you idiot? If anyone who loves sport has played sport before, your knees, your elbows, your back, those things tend to be in a bit of pain. Any tennis players or golfers out there? You know exactly what I'm talking about. But secondly, we spoke about it before. We live in a broken world. Matthew 6.34 tells us that each day has enough trouble in and of itself. And that's your lived experience. That's my lived experience in fact, I want to share with you a brief story about some of the trouble I got into as a young man. When I first left school, the first job I got was actually working as a labourer for one of the fellows in the church. He had a construction company. I was working with him. And so what happened was with this fellow, I used to move mud or, or his guys used to um, do restorations on buildings and I'd be hammering nails and things like that. It was, it was good, honest, hard work, but you know, it was pretty satisfying I got a good $10, hours, uh, $10 an hour, and I worked for 10 hours straight, so they'd give me $100 cash at the end of the day. Now, of course, that's nothing compared to the wages these days. But in any case, um, one day we found ourselves on the way home from such a restoration project, and we stopped at the lights in the middle of the city. Now, From memory, it was probably Elizabeth Street, something like that. Um, it's right there in the middle of the city. And, and, he, and the fellow turned to me, the fellow I was working with, this tradie, and he said to me, have you got your licence? And I didn't quite read the situation well and I I was really beaming because just a couple of weeks prior I had got my license. I turned to him and said, of course I've got my license. Before I knew what was going on, he'd opened his door and jumped out of the ute and was running across the road to the bank teller. As he was running, what he told me was, just take the ute around the corner, do a U-turn and then come back and pick me up. The amount of panic that set in was, it was almost palpable. I don't know if you've ever been with someone in a nervous situation. I was talking to my wife Mel about this and uh, she had a good laugh because i like physically start shaking. In any case, I shuffled across into the driver's seat and I did the only thing I could. I put my foot to the, the pedal and off I went. And you wouldn't believe it, for the first 100 metres it was awesome. There was nothing that was the problem. But as soon as I started to turn left to go around the block, I actually got cut off by a bus. And what you need to understand is that I'd only been driving for maybe about five hours around Caboolture. I'd never driven in the city. The biggest thing I'd driven was my Ford Laser hatchback, so I'd never driven something big. There was a huge trailer on the back of this this ute as well, and so I was completely lost and panicking, didn't know what to do. And so I thought, well, what, what can I do here? I need to find a park. And so I, I ended up parking in this um, underground paid parking. And I was so flustered, I just drove the ute into the car, uh, parking spot and just left the trailer hanging out, blocking the entrance. And I thought, I'll just quickly hop out and I'll, I'll find the train and it'll be all good. I'll be back really quickly in a second. So, so I spent a few minutes running around up the top trying to find this train. Of course, I had no idea where I was, so no luck there. And when I came back to my horror, the trailer was gone. And so I, I still so vividly remember the conversation. I, I rang the big boss and I said, um, I explained the story to him and his words. I still remember them and I might not include the explosives, but it was something like, like do you know what you have just done? You have killed me, mate. You have literally killed me. There's $100,000 worth of equipment in the back of that trailer. And he just hung up on me. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, but I just wanted to find a hole to dive into. I just wanted to disappear. Looking back, I feel sorry for that 17-year-old me. You should too. In any case, the story doesn't end too badly. After walking around for a bit, I found the parking attendant at the, at the place, and uh, what had happened is he would seen the trailer and, and moved it to try and teach me a lesson. And so the trailer was fine, and then my dad came up from Kabulcha and he helped me. This is the day before you had maps on your phones and stuff like that, so he helped me get home. Needless to say, that was the last day I have worked in construction. <laughs> John 16, verse 33 reiterates, in this world you will have trouble. There's no two ways about it. But you know, I love the second part of that passage. Sometimes we just take a scripture and we just use the first bit, but the second bit here says, Let me just find it, take heart, I have overcome the world. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. You know, I love the yets and the buts of scripture. Somehow, despite his trouble, and believe me, Paul had more trouble than most of us, right? He had found the secret to being renewed day by day. And I don't know if you've ever considered the implications of this, right? The the Scripture tells us here, day by day. Each day has its new troubles, but each day we have new mercies as well. Why is it, Lord? Why is it that you couldn't just sanctify us on the spot? When we became a Christian, why couldn't you just make it so that we didn't have to worry about sin and the problems of this world? Why is it that we have to, day by day, be renewed? But you know, the truth of the matter is that if God just went, clicked his fingers, and we were sanctified instantly, which, by the way, I believe he will do in the second resurrection there would be no need for us to return back to the fountain of life. If we had everything sorted, if we had no troubles, if there was no problems, if there's no situations that are driving us to our knees in prayer, then we wouldn't need to go back to him. You know, the book of James, chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, puts it this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because we know that the testing of your faith produces... Perseverance. Let us continue then in verse 17. Next one, please. James 17. Thank you. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Amen. Amen. It's something worth getting excited about. Let's consider that for a second, right? This juxtaposition here are light and momentary troubles compared to the eternal and weighty glory. You know, when we look at this, it gives us perspective. You know, Paul's momentary troubles, his momentary troubles only lasted from the time he was born till he was about 60 years old when he had his head cut off. You know, his light troubles, he says, my light troubles included being shipwrecked, being flogged, being publicly stoned, being humiliated, being incarcerated, and then executed. Light and momentary compared to eternal and weighty. Now we're starting to understand where he's coming from. What revelation Paul must have been living in to be able to declare these words. Though his suffering was far from trivial, in the light of eternal glory, he picked up something that I believe can change our lives today. He had a different perspective. And let me finish now as we turn to verse 18. Verse 18. I'll try and tie all of this together for us. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Who knows that appearances can be deceiving, right? The way that we see things, the physical world around us, isn't always as it appears. You know, my children, they love apples. Any other parents out here have kids that love fruit? Maybe a couple. Who, whose kids here loves broccoli? No one? What a surprise. In any case, my kids love apples, right? And so they often fight over the apples. And so they get to choose their own apples. There's a stack of apples in the fridge. And so they have a look at the outside of the apple. Sometimes they pick it up and feel it and move it around in their hand. And nah, this one's not big enough. Nah, this one's got a funny shape on it. Right, and they pick it up and have a look. But the thing is, sometimes they pick up an apple and it looks awesome on the outside. But then when they bite into it, it's got like this brown mush inside of it. Has anyone ever been disappointed by an apple before? <laughs> Everyone said amen, right? You've all experienced that. But my kids, they don't learn, right? So they always judge an apple from what's on the outside. But that's not always the reality. And, and as a bit of an illustration, I, I don't know if you've ever done this before, but but sometimes I go outside and, and I might put my thumb up and... and cover the moon with my thumb, right? Does that mean that my thumb is bigger than the moon? Well, of course it doesn't. And, and, and we don't need to use too much of our intelligence, right, to work out that that's not the case. We, we have lived experience. We know how the world works. We, we have depth perception. And so we know that our thumb's not as big as the moon, right? But, but when we look at it, we could cover the moon with our thumb. But now want, I'd like to take a different point of view, Say if someone was standing on the surface of the moon and they looked down on the earth, how big do you think your thumb would appear to them? Look, I know this is a, this is a silly illustration, but it proves a point. Perspective is so important. You know, sometimes we come up against our, our troubles and because we're facing it right here in front of us, it looks like this, this massive thing. Right? How are we ever going to overcome this problem or the situation. It's amazing what a bit of distance can do. And you know, when Paul, Paul looked at his light and momentary troubles, I wonder what his perspective was. I wonder from where he was viewing what was happening in his life. Light. Momentary. What does this mean for us, Church. Allow me to venture to point out that not only are our afflictions light and momentary, I want to tell you this morning that they are utterly and completely meaningful. What? How does that got to do with anything that we've been talking about? In the, in the light of, of, of God's glory, like our little old troubles and such, situ- how, can, how can that be meaningful? If we look at the world around us, and this morning, once again, we've heard about all the troubles that are happening and situations that are occurring around the world, all the trouble, all the heartache and pain. You know, young, young kids are dying around the world from malnutrition and preventable diseases. Right? right? People are living on the street in our own city. How could any of that be meaningful? How can there be meaning in the pain and suffering that we go through? A tsunami rips through a nation and kills thousands of people and destroys thousands of homes. How can that be meaningful? For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Here it is in the text. Paul writes of his momentary troubles, though terrible and daunting, they are achieving. Gate kozomai. Gate kozomai. That's the Greek word that's being used here, and it can also be translated as uh, preparing, as producing an eternal weight of glory. Notice the tense here. It's not prepared. It's not achieved, it's achieving, it's preparing, it's producing. In the midst of your struggle, in the midst of what you're going through, God is working in eternal glory for you. An eternal glory. It's a process. We don't need to be on the other side of whatever that thing is that is standing in our way. It's in the midst of it. It's in the midst of it that he is producing glory on our behalf forever you know I love John Piper and I just love his stuff. Desiring God if you want to ever read some good stuff, this is what he has to say. every millisecond of your pain, be it from the fallen nature or fallen man, every millisecond of your misery in the path of obedience, is producing a peculiar glory you will receive because of that. Hope point, where is our focus? What are we focusing on? What lens do we view our circumstances through? Is it the seen circumstances and the consequences of circumstances in this life that we're living in? Is our perception being coloured by losing a loved one? By being spoken to in a, in a way that made us feel like nothing? By a situation that has brought us down to our knees? Is that colouring our perspective? Is that capturing our attention? Is that causing us to live with unforgiveness? Paul understood the importance of living with an eternal perspective. He understood that trouble is easily seen. You don't have to look too hard to find trouble. But he saw beyond that. He looked beyond the grave to see the eternal glory. This is the secret that Paul discovered. This is the secret that equipped him to take heart amidst a dying world with all of its perils. Matthew 6 admonishes us, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And we can look at this passage, we can look at the scripture, and, and on face value, we can take it that God will provide for us physically, and I believe he does. Our God is our provider. Our God is our banner. Our God is our healer. But this passage is about so much more than just meeting our needs. I think this passage so beautifully summarizes the revelation that Paul had in 2 Corinthians 4:16 to 18. Do not lose heart. Don't worry. Just keep your eyes fixated on the kingdom. Keep your eyes fixated on an eternal perspective. God's got this. He's got this. Single mum, I think God would say to you, Even though we live in a world that would rather chew you up and spit you out than lend you a hand. God knows what you're going through. Young man. although you're in a battle of your mind and your eyes. Because we live in a society that is so overly sexualized. God is in the midst of the battle with you. Sister, I want to tell you the lies that have been spoken over your life. The things that slander that people have said, they don't mean a thing because of the perspective of what he thinks of you. His daughter, his princess. Shift your gaze to the unseen. Become infatuated become consumed, become sold out for his kingdom and an eternal perspective and see things change. Hope point though we may grow weak, though we live in a world that is failing, though our eyes might grow dim. If we have Christ, we have everything. No evil can touch us. Because of what Jesus has done, because of his sacrifice, we have an eternal inheritance that no no moth, no thief, no liar, no economic situation can touch when we are hidden in Christ. That is the eternal perspective that God is preparing, he's producing a place of glory for us because of our afflictions. And I thoroughly believe that the Lord is speaking to someone this morning, just like Hayden said. Someone is going through some circumstances in their life that they might not be able to understand. It might be that you've been prayed for a number of times about this thing and it is just not going away. I don't have the answers but I want to tell you is this, Turn your affection and your attention towards eternity. God will hear you. God will provide for you. God will do his thing, or he won't. But he is preparing for you a weight of glory. If we're walking in obedience with him. And so I might just, I'll just ask you to stand if you don't mind, if you can. I'll just ask you for a simple gesture, if that's you, if you, if you need a different perspective, if you want the Holy Spirit to minister to you this morning and help you to, to look past the physical circumstances that you're going through at the moment and, and see the unseen glory that he's preparing for you. I just want you to put your hands out. I'm just going to pray. God, we live in a broken world, but we know this is not our home. God, you have set eternity on the hearts of men and women. Lord, deep down we know that you are preparing us for glory. But in the meantime, God, while we're here, would you give us the eyes to see? Would you give us the eyes to see that which is unseen, Lord? How you are working in the background, in circumstances, in situations. God, how you're using our pain and our afflictions in order to produce glory, Lord, in eternity, but also to touch the lives of the people around us. God, may we be a living sacrifice, a living testimony of the goodness of God in the midst of the struggle. In the midst of the pain, God, may your name be glorified. thank you. Thank you for a fresh impartation, God. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is ministering to us even as we're praying right now that you are speaking to us. God, I pray that you would speak so loudly to the hearts that need to hear it this morning, that you are in the midst of whatever it is that they are facing. God, that you have never left them, nor will you ever forsake them. God, you are with us. Emmanuel, God with us, and we thank you for that, Father. Yours is the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. Amen.